0: Awesome. Is that coming through? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Good morning, us all, everyone. Um, yeah. Kind of intense barbery <laughs> today. Um, that's what happens when, when you decide to just preach through the Bible bit by bit. You have to deal with the hard stuff. So, we're dealing with some hard stuff today. So, I'm going to pray <laughs> to start with. We just thank you, Father, um, your Son, and Holy Spirit for your, your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth and your willingness to speak truth in love. We just know how much you love us and how you've demonstrated your love in the cross, your heart towards us. And Yes, we just read some challenging words today when, Jesus, you're direct and honest and strong in love. Lord, would would we hear these words afresh? Would you give us understanding? Just ask you to open our hearts and our minds to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Just pray this in your name. Amen. So, um, yeah, most of you know, if you, if you know me, that before I was a pastor, I was a primary school teacher, and um, bef- while I was a primary school teacher, I was teaching prep for a few years, which was a lot of fun. A lot of kids just started prep. Um, you see families posting photos and things like that, kids going off to school for the first time, and I, I enjoyed it. It was hard, but it was enjoyable, and particularly was just fun, um, and kids were funny, Um, But there were some things that were quite frustrating and there were certain times of the day where that were quite frustrating and the two probably most frustrating times of the day was after morning tea and after lunch because the prep playground is a pretty socially intense place (laughs) because there's a lot of kids who have no social skills and no idea how to make friends and play games and you just chuck them all together and put a fence around them (laughs) and see what (laughs) happens. And what would often happen would be after morning tea, after lunch, kids want to talk to Mr. Neil and they come, Mr. Neil, Mr. Neil, these people won't play with me. They won't play my games, they won't play with me, and there's all these problems and we have to sit down and work through them. And often a little girl or boy would be totally upset because they're adamant that no one will play with them. And and so they're left alone in the playground. And I would then have to ask them some questions and try and figure out, well, what's going on and what would be going on is that they're adamant that we play this game, mums and dads. We're playing mums and dads today, and I'm the mum, and she won't let me be the mum, and they want to play a different game. Why would they want to play a different game? We're playing mums and dads. And it's kind of pretty obvious why no one wants to play with them, and they don't, they don't know that though, right? They're completely oblivious. They think, surely everyone wants to play mum and dads, and everyone wants me to be the mum, like, And I have to explain to them and and work through it, like, well, maybe you can be the mum today and they can be the mum tomorrow. Or maybe you can let them go first this time and maybe play a different game and and work it out. What it's like to actually interact with other people and have social skills is you have to listen and you have to share. You have to adjust your expectations because the world doesn't revolve around you. But these kids don't know that yet. And so the interesting thing, though, is Jesus in these, what we see are pretty challenging words shows that actually the way that people are responding to him is similar to the way that kids respond to others who don't want to play the game they want to play. Um, We've been talking, this series is called The Man, and it's about this few chapters in Matthew from 11, 12, and 13, which is all about this kind of question of who is this man and how are people responding to Jesus? And we looked a couple of weeks ago about even someone like John the Baptist, who announced Jesus coming, is having some doubts because... He doesn't fit his expectations. Jesus is a bit different. And the crowds are sort of in a similar boat. And we see that actually Jesus starts to articulate how some of them are responding. It says they're actually kind of responding like kids. And they're not just struggling. Some people are not just struggling with Jesus. They're actually starting to make up their minds about him, starting to reject him, and sort of say they don't want anything to do with him. And, And that's kind of where some of these verses are going. So this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 11, verse 16 to 17. He says, to what can I compare this generation? Which means people these days, like the the general population around people who know about Jesus, this generation. They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sung a dirge, and you did not mourn. So Jesus is saying... This generation are kind of like kids, like prep kids, who are upset because they're demanding a certain game gets played, and they're not happy or not willing to adjust their expectations to a different game, because John and Jesus don't fit their expectations. John and Jesus are not playing the game that the crowds want them to play, so they're upset. What well, we see, though, that, again, and sadly, kids and adults as well can do this, is they get upset, when someone doesn't want to play the game they want to play, and obviously the person who's in the wrong is the other person, so they start to call them names. <laughs> and then we have to deal with that in prep as well. But the crowds and people are not just not willing to um, accept or adjust their expectations to John and Jesus. Obviously, John and Jesus are the problem, so they start to call them names. John, Jesus is Jesus talking about what people are saying. He says, For John came neither eating nor drinking... And they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Now John and Jesus were different to what people were expecting. That's that's kind of what this passages are exploring, like how, how to make sense of what God is doing, and particularly different to what the religious leaders were expecting. And some people right, are following Jesus like his disciples. This is not everybody, but in general, a lot of people are responding this way. So they don't like what they're doing, so they, they, they're demanding that they change, and they're not changing, so they start to call them names. And they start to call them contradictory names, right? Like, John is too intense. He should eat more. He doesn't eat enough. Like he's fasting all the time. He's a loner. He's out in the desert. He wears weird clothes. He's just weird. He's too intense. Actually, what we worked out what's wrong. He has a demon. <laughs> like that's 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 what ends up happening, right? They they say this is a pretty intense thing to say, but people some people are saying this about John. This is what Jesus quotes. But then Jesus comes around, and they say, "Well, Jesus, you're too relaxed." You're eating too much, <laughs> like you're going to too many parties, you're hanging out with all these people that are strange and different that you shouldn't be hanging out with. Maybe you should think about fasting. Like all, all these other people are fasting. Why don't you fast? And and it's amusing, but it's also intense, right? That these these critiques are contradictory. John's too intense, Jesus is too relaxed. John fasts too much, Jesus eats too much. And they, what we start to see, and I think the point that Jesus is making is that these are not valid criticisms. These are excuses. These are excuses because people do not want to adjust to John and Jesus. They're not interested in what they have to say. They're starting to make up their mind. So instead of adjusting expectations, they don't want to, so they have to make excuses and critique, which is, again, what children do. Children demand that people play their games. They think the world revolves around them. And until they learn otherwise, they demand and are upset when people don't get on board with their expectations and how they think things should be. And we know it looks ridiculous. And when 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 even we read this story of Jesus, it's like these critiques look ridiculous. But some part of each of us, at some times, can also act like that, like kids, particularly with God. Again, we've been talking about how God and Jesus. When we read his, sto- his stories of Jesus when we experience him in our lives, often does things that don't match our expectations. Either he doesn't do what we expect or he does things that we don't expect. And sometimes, if we're honest, we may demand that he plays our game, that he does things the way we think he should do. And if he doesn't, maybe we get upset at him. Or maybe it's not uh, just God, but maybe it's other people or other believers that we expect that they should do things a certain way. And if they don't, they're obviously bad. And we critique and we call names and reject. But often, there's an ex- it's actually, it's hidden. We're good at hiding it. It's actually an issue of the heart, which is actually an excuse because we don't want what God is doing or we don't want what Jesus is saying or we don't want what, how God is using other people. Um, Barclay on this says this, the plain fact is that when people do not want to listen to the truth they will easily enough find an excuse for not listening to it. They do not even try to be consistent in their criticisms. They will criticize the same person and the same institution from quite opposite grounds. If people are determined to make no response, they will remain stubbornly unresponsive no matter what invitation is made to them. Grown men and women can be very like spoiled children who refuse to play no matter what the game is. Again, it's a challenge. Again, like always, I'm preaching to myself as well so it's a challenge though to think about myself us all people when we criticize or we judge maybe it's not even verbally but internally in ways particularly maybe other christians or jesus and we think we're saying something that's the truth and we're defending the truth and we're making sure that everyone's faithful to god maybe that's true sometimes but maybe it's actually this that the way things are going don't suit our personal preferences or don't suit our personality, or don't suit our tastes on what we want God to do, or people to do, or church to be like. So we critique. and They're obviously the problem, and name call, and so forth. But Jesus says in this passage that wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's a way of saying, well, yes, John and Jesus look different, right? They don't match the expectation, but it's an invitation to say, well, but actually look at what's happening. Like, look what God's actually doing through John and through Jesus. And if they keep looking Eventually, yes, Jesus will die, but he will raise from the dead. God will vindicate him. It's like Jesus will be proved to be true. What matters is not what it looks like necessarily, but whether God is in it and whether God is working. Ultimately, if, if, if God is working in it, it, it will be evident. And in other situations in our lives as well, God may be doing something that doesn't match what we expect. He might be using someone who doesn't look like we expect. But if there's evidence that he is doing it, that's what matters. That's what we are to look to. Obviously, there are methods that are impro- inappropriate. This doesn't say that the end justifies the means. It's not, that's not the point. But maybe we just don't like the means. There's actually nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't suit what we would want the means to be. But God's actually working through it. Sometimes we think our criticisms, our feedback, our expectations are God's, but maybe they're just our own wants and desires that need to be kept in check. This is actually really important, um, particularly in this passage, because we see what happens is that these crowds, right, are being like demanding children who won't budge, so they have to critique, so they start to complain, they start to critique, which eventually and basically is leading to reject Jesus, which is serious. Um, We see this because Jesus starts to speak these serious words in verse 20. In the next paragraph, he says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. So Jesus had been teaching and preaching and doing miracles in the three towns that we're going to look at soon. Uh, A lot of them are actually not recorded in the Gospels, which shows like the Gospels don't record everything Jesus did. There's lots Jesus did that aren't in the Gospels, but a lot of his work was in these towns, which are up north of the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, he was doing miracles, people were interested, there were crowds that were following Him, but what we see is that, ultimately, people didn't take Jesus seriously. Like They were interested in Him, probably, but their expectations of what the kingdom of God should look like, their expectations of how to solve their problems, their expectations of how to get free from Rome did not match Jesus' upside-down kingdom vision. Um, probably what's likely... Is some of the big tension that was happening is right. The context of this is that Israel's is in occupation under Rome. One of the big issues is how do we get free from Rome? When the Messiah comes, we'll be free from Rome. And it's likely that people in these cities and towns, their idea was that we need to rebel against Rome. We need to fight. We need to use violence. And Jesus' teaching is the exact opposite of that. It's it's turn the other cheek, it's pray, it's love your enemies. Love the Romans. This is what Jesus was calling people to change and repent and change directions. But they were unwilling to do that. And it kind of makes sense because that's a pretty big change, right? They're, they're going down this path of we need freedom and we need to make it happen. Jesus invites them to take a cross and he's going to the cross. It's a big call. And, and they listen perhaps, but don't end up taking him seriously. So he says these words to these cities. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And these are really intense verses for some of the most intense, right? And Jesus is speaking as a prophet because most people don't just go and speak against cities, right? They normally go up on a mountain and denounce Brisbane or something like that, like, like Jesus is a prophet. Prophets would do that, like Isaiah would do that in the Old Testament, that's, that's a thing that people would do. And Jesus is a prophet, and these are cities that have rejected him, and so he is warning them with, with grief and with sorrow and concern because of the tragedy of their decision. This, this word translated woe, Um, is a really strong word of lament, of grief, of really intense concern. Um, They they have not listened to Jesus' call to turn around, and Jesus is announcing, denouncing, saying basically just the tragedy and the the horror and the intensity of that decision. Um, Because he can see, if they keep pushing down this path of we need to revolt against Rome, he can see where it's going to go. And it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be destructive. He knows that that's the collision course. He knows where that road leads. And he's come to offer a different road to offer them to repent, which just means to turn around. They're going down this road. Jesus calls them, no, stop. That's the wrong way. Go this way. And they don't listen to him. They keep going down that road. Even though they've seen Jesus' miracles, even though they've heard his teaching, his upside-down kingdom, Ultimately they choose to ignore him and reject him and not take him seriously because they did not play, he did not play their game. He did not give them what they wanted, so they didn't take him seriously. But we see in Jesus' response that this is not a game. This is it's serious. He's serious in this call, and these words are some of the most intense, serious words that he's said. It's interesting, though, that this message, he's speaking a message of judgment, it's not to pagans or, or people that haven't heard anything about God or like people outside of Israel. These are two people who have been with Jesus, people who think that they're right with God, people who think that God is with them in their journey, who are excited about the kingdom and it's a different expectation. These people have heard Jesus, perhaps even felt some pride in the sense of being with Jesus and having a prophet in town, but they ultimately haven't listened to him or haven't taken him seriously haven't changed directions or let what he's talk affect their life. And he compares them to some of the worst pagan cities. Ty- Tyre and Sidon are like the worst, some of the worst cities that weren't Israelites. And, and Jesus says, I'm right here and you're choosing to ignore me. It's worse than them. Like, so he's saying this is a serious thing. It's not a message to people who are turning and seeking to follow Jesus, right? This is not a message of judgment to those who want to follow him or seeking to follow him, but it's hard and there's a a struggle. This is a message to people who have heard him and are choosing to ignore him and not listen to him because he doesn't suit their tastes. And he's showing them, though, that this is not a game. It's not just a game. It's not just about entertainment. And this is a good reminder for us, even those of us who have repented and are following Jesus. It's a good reminder that this is not a game that Jesus is serious and and following him is serious. Um, I've just been reading this book recently, which is really good. It's a little book called, What If Jesus Was Serious? (laughs) And it's a lot of little cartoons about the Sermon on the Mount, because sadly, still today, many people hear Jesus' teachings, and we kind of just explain them away. Like, Jesus wasn't really serious about forgiving and loving enemies. Like, like, maybe he said that, but we don't really have to do it. Like, like, and we kind of can just wriggle out of actually taking him seriously. But when he, he gave commands, he, they were serious. We're not talking about works to be saved, like, right? We're saved by faith in Jesus. But if we trust Jesus, we're called to follow him and obey his commands. And he's serious about it. Following Jesus is not about being entertained, Right? It's not about just coming to church. It's not about doing the religious thing. It's about actually changing our lives, changing direction to follow Him and go His way. Um, and again, I know if we're here in church, there's a good chance that, that you've done that. Um, but it's a good reminder. Dale Brunner says this, the fact is most of us are a mix of both repentance and unrepentance. A part of every Christian heart is not serious. Um, there's a danger that, Again, we forget that this is not a game, and we just start playing a game. We play a church game. Come to church, have some coffee, have a tea, like, have a chat, have nice ministries. Like, we just form a religious club, but we're not actually turning direction of life to follow Jesus and take Jesus seriously. We're just playing a game, or just enjoying music, or just being entertained, Um, just playing religious games, but Jesus says, no, no, this is not a game. And what matters is not just being around Jesus, or even seeing Jesus, or hearing His teaching. What matters is taking Him seriously and letting it actually impact our lives as we grow to follow Him. Again, I'm not saying that we have to be all serious all the time. Like, we can still be relaxed. Like, we're a relaxed church, right? Like, like when I first came, no one really wore shoes. Like, like That's fine. It's fine that we have be casual and relaxed, but it's a good reminder, though. But actually, Jesus, though, and what we're doing is a serious thing. It, it, it's serious, what Jesus says and following him. He continues on in, in verse 23. says, and you, Capernaum, this is actually Jesus, where, basically where he lived. He did a lot of ministry in Capernaum. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. That's the grave, death, effectively. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So again, really intense verses, comparing this generation to Sodom, one of the sort of characteristic bad cities in the Old Testament, saying, you guys are worse. Like, that's a pretty serious thing to say to them. And these people who are acting like children complaining, criticizing, end up rejecting the offer of life. And they continue down a pathway that Jesus says leads to death. They, they, mind, they were thinking that they're on their way up to heaven. Like they say, will you be lifted up to heaven? Like this town seemed to be prideful. Like they maybe even had pride in the fact that Jesus was in their town. They had a prophet, they had crowds, they had a name, but they didn't listen to him, so he says no. You've continued on a pathway to death. You've rejected the offer of life. And this is a warning out of love and deep concern because he can see what's happening. And, and this is intense, but basically logical, right? If, if Jesus comes with the message of the kingdom, which is the offer of life, ultimately, the offer of forgiveness, life with God, rescue, eternal life, the way, Jesus says he is the way, so the only offer of life, the one true way to reject that is to go the path of death. And it's not that Jesus is like, well, if you don't believe me, I'm going to punish you. Like It's like, there is no other life. <laughs> That's the whole point. Like, this is the offer of life. If you don't want it, this is the pathway it leads to death. And these are people who saw him but didn't take him seriously enough to actually change that direction. So we see that this is not a game. This is actually about life and death. Jesus' teaching, I guess, what we do as a church, ministry, um, following Him is a matter of life and death. And again, particularly in that context, Jesus is speaking about the Roman revolt, right? If people continue down this Roman revolt, like that's going to lead to death and destruction of these cities, which it ends up happening. Um, Again, in our world, right, like if we just do what comes naturally, if we just do what kind of our world, our culture around us says, that's a pathway to death. If we just live a life based on consumerism, individualism, pride, self-protection, self-advancement, just life about ourselves and how do we protect ourselves, how do we look after ourselves, even individually or even as a corporate humanity. How do we just look after humanity but we don't need God? Right? That, that's kind of the natural way to go of relying on ourselves Jesus says that pathway leads to death. That's, there's no life there. We're made for life with God. But it's hard because Jesus' call is literally the opposite, right? Like everything in the world encourages you, to rely on yourself. Life is about you. You do you. Like follow your dreams, make life happen. You can get out of this. Just, just work hard, right? Jesus says, no, die. <laughs> like. Jesus says, first lesson, take up your cross and die to yourself and follow me. It's literally the opposite. It's the most unnatural thing to do. So it is hard. It's not that this was an easy thing that they rejected. It is a hard thing to deny yourself, to lose your life. But Jesus' promise is that that's actually the path to life. If you lose your life for his sake, if you take a cross like he did, if you live depending on God and not yourself, there's actually life there whereas this path goes to death. Um, Paul contrasts this as well in Galatians. He talks about the works of the flesh, which leads to all kinds of problems and issues and, and immorality and division and anger and hatred and versus the life in the Spirit, a life of trusting God, which leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the works, the fruit of the Spirit. So this is a wake-up call, I guess, to us, as we read these verses of Jesus, that that again, church, our gatherings following Jesus is not just about nice meetings, nice gatherings. It's about life and death. It's about God and idols, false gods that we may be tempted to worship that are false gods that lead to death. It's about the flesh, life without God, and the spirit. It's about the kingdom and destruction. It's about heaven and hell. It's serious. It's life and death. And this is not to make us afraid, I don't think Jesus is trying to make us afraid. Again and again, Jesus says, don't be afraid. But it is to make us take him seriously. There's an opportunity today, I suppose, to recognize where maybe we haven't taken him seriously. Where we've not taken his command seriously, or his call seriously, or his place in our lives seriously. We like that Jesus is around. We like that we have a church. We like that we have the Bible when it suits us, but we don't really take him seriously. When he says he is Lord and God, and calls us to follow him, and again, the, the sort of the our culture doesn't take Jesus seriously, so we're not encouraged to take him seriously. Like we're encouraged just relax, just enjoy life, just make the most of it. There's nothing to worry about. It's all good. We need Jesus to remind us that. Well, no, there's actually a judgment. Like, which again, that just sounds crazy in our culture. Like we don't think like that. Like this sounds crazy, but to Jesus, it's like no. Like there's a judgment, and to reject him. Is serious. Again, this is not that we have to work really hard and be really afraid. It's this is again it's all by the Spirit. Like we trust Jesus, we follow him, we take him seriously, and over time, by the power of his spirit, we grow in following him. So see, children demand people play their games. This is not a game. This is about life and death. And it says a reminder of that and a wake-up call to take Jesus seriously. So I guess a couple of questions to consider just in reflection from today is just that question where, where am I not taking Jesus seriously? Like maybe you maybe you haven't actually decided to follow him or repented like you kind of just enjoy hearing some information about it and kind of like being around Christians um, but life hasn't really changed it's still on the same path that it's always been on and maybe there's a need to repent which means turn around and actually say no I'm going to follow Jesus um, or Maybe you've done that, but it's just parts of life, parts of what he says or parts of our hearts where we don't really take him seriously. Again, our culture hasn't taken him seriously, and it's a, we live in a post-Christian culture. So it's kind of like the vibe is, well, we tried that, and it led to all these terrible problems, and that's, that's true in some ways, lots of good things, but lots of abuses and problems as well. So it's like, we've tried that, and we, we've moved on now. Um, But G.K. Chesterton said this, he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. Actually, people haven't actually tried to follow Jesus or taken him seriously. When we do, there's actually life there. And that's what he offers, right? Jesus' offer is an offer of life, it's an offer of hope, it's an offer of peace, of eternity with God, it's an offer of a kingdom and he is intentionally concerned that people don't miss that offer because to miss it is to miss life. So it's not, this is not to make us afraid, but it's to recognize the significance of the offer that he has given us and the significance even of the mission that we have to share that with others, that we have a serious mission, that people need to hear this offer of life. So one question, where am I not taking Jesus seriously? Another question perhaps is how am I rejecting other believers just because they are different? Because sometimes, as a church, we can divide over very insignificant things and be at odds with each other. When we agree on like this huge amount of stuff about who God is and we disagree on this tiny little practical issue that doesn't even matter, but we divide, and we don't have, like, there's just too much at stake to divide on that. Like, like there's too much at stake in Jesus' call and the mission that we've been given to be dividing over personal preferences and tastes and issues that just upset us. We need to be united because of the seriousness of this call. So I'm going to pray, and then, um, then we'll sing, and we'll finish up. Just invite you to stand. Stand with me. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you so much for the offer of life. And I I thank you for your willingness to speak truth in love, and we we need your word, um, even when it's challenging. Uh, Just ask this morning, you'd wake us up to your reality, to the significance of your kingdom and your goodness and what's at stake in our lives and our choices and our decisions. And we just ask for grace by your spirit, um, for repentance, that we can live life trusting you and following you. And when we're going our own way, you'd help us turn and follow your way, trusting the life that you have. Um, We just ask that you'd work that in our hearts, Lord, in our community, and we just ask, God, that you would help us to speak your truth out beyond the walls of the church as well, Lord, and share this good news with people that they would know life and know you. So just offer this to you in your name. Amen.